Welcome everyone back to Pariah Nation. Um, today, I'm extremely excited. And although we haven't posted for a while, this it's worth the wait, guys. Trust me, it was worth the wait because we got a very, very special guest from Australia, all the way from Australia. And we're going to be doing a bit of a series uh, called Connecting the Colonial Experience. So I thought it would be really interesting to, as, I, yeah, as the title kind of explains, to connect the post-colonial experiences of Native Africans, Native and Indigenous Australians as well, and Indigenous Americans and Indigenous Canadians. So really pay attention for that. I know we're coming to, towards the end of season 10, but in season 11, we're going to get a few more Native American guests and see how that goes as well. But without further ado, would you just like to introduce yourself and tell us a bit about yourself as well? Um, hi, I'm Darcy. My pronouns are he, him. I live in Australia. Well, as you said, um, I'm Indigenous Australian and my tribes are Jajarung and Yoda Yoda tribe. And I'm currently on Naram country. We're living in Naram country in um, Melbourne. And I'm an up and coming artist as well. Um, what else do I do? <laughs> yeah. Can't really think of anything else. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. I think it's, yeah, first of all, it's really, really epic. And I feel like um, just even as an African, uh, this, this conversations, these conversations should be happening way more often. And I always tell people that, um, you know, colonialism didn't just impact us. It didn't just impact people in Asia. It didn't just impact people in South America. It impacted almost basically the entire world. And I think by, by being able to reach out to you, this is going to be like an excellent experience. And I think that we can even just start maybe on like, you know, uh, concepts of identity. I think this would be really interesting to delve into and I think I'll start off with this one. Uh, but we did talk about this earlier before the podcast, but I was really, really interested because a lot of people asked me, for example, when there was this whole question of should we identify as Black with, you know, B-L-A-C-K, right? Yeah. And I just told people that it's a, it's a mandatory prerequisite for us to be able to dismantle white supremacy because if you don't recognize race, then how are you going to tell where it's hurting? and what to do to stop the hurt. So I just wanted to ask um, you, uh, as Aboriginal people, do most Aboriginal people, for example, um, consider themselves to be Black? And what is your view of Blackness as, uh, as a group of people? Um, so here in Australia, when colonization first came to Australia, they called um, Indigenous Australians Black as a way to demean us and put us down. So we've come to use black in a empowering sense. So we've taken back the word and instead of it being like B-L-A-C-K, it's just B-L-A-K. And in Australia, like it's that thing where because of the stolen generation that happened and that like they took away like our kids and like they were trying to like breed the black out, pretty much trying to make us as white as possible. Like there's that thing where, like, well, just in general that um aboriginal australians we come in all shades and colors we come we come from like the darkest of dark to the whitest of white and it's not like your skin color that determines like your your per like as like doesn't determine how aboriginal you are or not it's your connection to culture and like yeah i would consider myself black even though i am like olive light skinned because of having a mixed family in the stolen generation, but I would consider myself black. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's very interesting. Um, I think I just had a couple of like follow-up questions. Um, so could you tell me a bit more about uh, the stolen generation? So 
I think because that's very interesting historically wise. I don't think that, um, for example, in Africa's colonial history, there's maybe a few places where people would consider it okay to, for example, um, have children with a black person. Uh, but yep. apart from that, even in places like, for example, in during apartheid in South Africa, there was like strict separation. Like as a white person, you cannot even uh, be seen to be in love with a black person. And I think even in Kenya it was more or less the same thing. It's like, why would you be with a white person? And it was like kind of like an unspoken rule that you cannot be with a settler. Otherwise, you're going to get a serious, serious punishment. So tell me a bit more about the, the stolen generation. Um, sorry, it's like left my mind um, the year of the stolen generation. But I remember it, like, if I remember correctly, it wasn't, like, a thing that happened, like, too long ago. Like, my grandparents and, like, great-grandparents were affected by it. So, like, not even, like, a couple, like, it's a couple generations ago now. But pretty much what happened was, is they were trying to breed the black out of Aboriginals. So when, like, another thing that happened was, like, they put Aboriginals on missions and basically these were places where Aboriginals had to live. They couldn't live within like white society. And yeah, they put us on these missions and like they like slept with our women uncon like unconsensually. And yeah, they, yeah. So they tried to get, um, and then they took those kids when they were born and made them live with white families. And they kept like, they were doing this. They kept doing this. Um, throughout the stolen generation and the whole yeah like I said the whole idea was like use it like the whole idea was like to pretty much make us white people so instead of because they because they couldn't kill us anymore um they would just decided that if we can't kill them we're just going to breed the black out of them I find that so I mean just the lens that um, you know, the lens that people go to to like to establish, you know, white superiority, etc. Because it's like, yeah, we can't kill you, but we'll literally try and uh, erase your blackness generation by generation. I mean, that for yeah. me is just something extremely crazy. And I don't, I think like as, as Africans, for example, um, we're kind of in a position where now it's like Africans were always the majority and you'd have the minority of, let's say, white settlers. But the only reason why they had control was because of guns. I wonder what it would have been like if we were the minority now. Like, I can't even imagine myself just thinking that, oh, you know, I used to have ancestors that lived on this land, and now we're a minority when this used to be our land. So, I mean, that's really, that's really, really interesting. Also, even about segregation, and this will lead me to my next question. Because I'm from Nairobi, but we've also seen segregation in places more more recently, like you know Johannesburg, South Africa, etc. I think it's very interesting to just sort of connect that segregation aspect because even in Nairobi, there was definitely areas in which only black people would live, and um, there was also areas where only Indians would live, and there was that stratification. And then, of course, now white people would be at the top of the hierarchy. And an interesting thing, and I'm going to ask if this is kind of common there as well. Uh, I guess it'll be a twofold question. Um, back here in, in Kenya as well, during those colonial periods, we used to have, let's say, a very white area. And till today, that area is one of the, like, you know, highest, uh, highest like in terms of like pricing and all that stuff. It has some of the highest pricing in terms of land. And a lot of the rich people live in these areas. Is that more or less the same for you? Like, was it like, um, more white areas were able to be like, you know, developed, et cetera, compared to like other areas? Um, so like I was saying, 
when um, I said earlier about the Aboriginal missions, so pretty much what colonizers did is they like fenced off like all of our grounds for like hunting where we would go get food and we weren't allowed to speak our native language. And they put us onto these missions, which are like out of town-ish. And you weren't allowed to like, yeah, I don't think you could, if I remember correctly, yeah, you couldn't hunt. I think, I forget the, um, some things around it because my memory is a bit foggy. But um, yeah, you weren't like when you were in these missions, you weren't allowed to speak your native language at all. And you were separated from the white folk. Like you, if you were on the, like if you're living on these missions and the only time you could actually like back in those days, the only time you could really like be in the city, like be around white people is if you were like, um, if you were part of the stolen generation. So they'll take you and put you with a white family. But nowadays these Aboriginal missions still do exist. But um, nowadays the segregation isn't, from what I've seen, isn't blatant. Like there's like, there, yeah, I can't think of anything nowadays. I could be wrong, but I can't think of anything nowadays where there is like blatant seg- segregation. Cause that's, yeah, that's interesting. I think it's more implied as well, back like in, in terms of the African continent, but it's more like, um it's more like a different historical dynamic for us because now we just sort of have like a historical african elite that sort of stepped up to the plate and it was mainly people who were educated etc that used to come to these areas etc and also like in terms of the divide right um because back here we also have a similar problem it's like the class divide is absolutely insane in terms of like you can see that it's drawn based on either not necessarily racial lines but you can see that the, the african elite for example um, who now like you know own most of the land etc they'll have like houses in all these different areas rich areas and then all of a sudden you literally just see a slum so like there's literally like a line that is that divides you know let's say the the rich area from the very poor area because most of the poor people would go to work for example for the rich people back in the day and that sort of carried on is that the same dynamic uh where you're living as well um so nothing that i've seen that is like in my experience i haven't seen anything that bad but um oh sorry um i would say the like economic divide is very big because of like so white people when they came to australia they had like what like 250 years to settle themselves whereas aboriginal people we were settled we were like they were like very happy and content with the life they were living but then like like massacred slavery and all those things happened where we couldn't get jobs. And then we weren't even considered like we, when they did come, Aboriginal people were considered like flora and fauna up until like, I think the seventies, like we weren't even people into like the sixties or seventies. Yeah, it's insane. And then because like white people have so long to be like even generations of generations back when they were probably in like England or Ireland, they still had like able to adapt within society. But we, they came, messed us up. And then after the solar generation, then they, when they made us people, they're like, all right, all right, become, become people, like become functioning members of society. And there was no support for that thing. Like um, British, I think, yeah, I remember hearing stories about how like, people in my grandparents like generation or I think the generation before where they couldn't go to high schools like past a certain year they couldn't be there anymore they also couldn't go to uni like they didn't have access to those things 
But now we do. It's getting better, but slowly over time. It's getting a lot better, but a lot of Aboriginal people are below the poverty line because there isn't that support when it comes to education. And that's the main thing. If you want to get people out of like the rut of being in a low socioeconomic like area, you just need education, support, but the government doesn't really supply that much. Yeah, I think just there's a lot to reflect on from that. And I've noticed that one thing, it's like, um, it makes me really question it. I think that a lot of these colonizers knew that um, when they were coming to invade certain lands, they knew that the people there weren't, it's not like they were incapable of like learning things. It's, it's not like they were incapable. And mm. um, I'd say what, what it's, it's almost like white supremacy is built upon this inferiority complex that we cannot have someone that with dark skin, right? Or we cannot have the native peoples of these lands look better than us. And I'll, I'll cite my, my evidence now. If you, for example, go to places like um, the there's a Bam, there's a kingdom called the Kingdom of Bamum, and it's somewhere in West Africa, and they had uh, just just before colonialism, I think they had invented their own writing script, or it was during the German occupation after World War One. The French were especially angry about seeing <laughs> educated black people because they went and they burnt all of the king's libraries, and he was trying to educate his people. It was really, really unfortunate. They went and they burnt all of the libraries, even for Timbuktu, all of the libraries of people like Ahmed Baba, who was a very like you know, famous Islamic scholar who had at least 1,600 books in his library. A lot of these books, actually, when you hear it in like, you know, from the Mali Empire, et cetera, and places like also Chinguetti, which is in now Mauritania, a lot of people actually have written stories about how the French would come in and hide the books or either burn the books. So I feel like there's that concept of like, you know, we can't let these people, first of all, be educated and we can't let people know that they were educated. So I, I, to my African brothers and sisters and also to my indigenous Australians as well, it's like, this is one thing that we definitely share as like, you know, common ground. It's like, you know, you how, do you, how do you account for that educational uh, disparity in Congo, uh, sorry, the DRC when they got independence they had, I think it's only 11 people in the entire country who had degrees by the time they were independent. And they all eventually went to make up parliament. And like, what does that mean in terms of like implication of class, et cetera? And I guess now that we're on the topic of education, um, do you feel like your history has been erased from the like, you know, Australian like, you know, textbooks? Do you learn about uh, indigenous history enough? Like, you know, what, what sort of things make you angry about the, the educational system in relation to your people? Oh, 100%. It's, it's one thing that infuriates me so much because growing up, like in, for instance, in my primary school, there were Indigenous kids, but I was one of the few, because like I said, us Aboriginals, we come in all shades and colours, but I was one of the few like darker Indigenous people, even in my year level, in like my whole year level, and I experienced so much racism because I was a minority, first of all, people didn't understand my culture. And then like, also we weren't taught it. I remember going through primary school and they didn't tell, like I didn't learn anything about that. And then even in high school, the only times I ever learned about it 
was when I went, I went, I was a part of this um, leadership program for young Indigenous kids. And we would go out and we'd learn stuff about our culture. But I, they're the only, we, they didn't teach us anything in high school. Like probably like, I think it was like in year 11 or 12, we did like not even a semester, like a week or a, a couple of weeks, like two weeks on like Aboriginal spirituality in like religion class. And then we had like a class called um, Indigenous Studies that was offered as an elective, not even as like we had to learn about it. It was an elective that I didn't even know about until I got into the year, like halfway through the year, I learned about it. Like they, and they like, they just taught us so many, like the things I did hear about Indigenous people, like it wasn't good. Like, and then like, but like my friends of like from other places of Australia, like one of my best mates and my housemate, he's from North, like he's from Queensland and he was telling us that they do teach Aboriginal like history and culture up in Queensland. And then I've heard about it, how in Northern Territory they teach the Aboriginal language. And then I'm pretty sure um, one of my other housemates saying that here down in Melbourne, they got taught, um, they got, they got taught the um they got some they got taught some aboriginal history but not in like where i'm from rural victoria didn't get taught anything and i've also heard like a lot of people say they didn't get taught enough and it's horrendous because another thing about aboriginal culture is a lot of it is like our history is very vocal so we pass it on but because of the massacres that happened we lost a lot of our history we don't know like there's just so much that is lost and also in terms of language as well. It, we don't get taught enough history when it does, because I'm, I will admit it that I'm uneducated on my own culture because it's hard for me to find, <clears throat> sorry, it's hard for me to find the information. Like I do have, like it's hard, like growing up, it's hard for me to, it was hard for me to find the information about my culture. And then like, I also have like re trouble retaining like information. So it's just like really, like even any of the stuff I do learn, it's just kind of like, if it will stick, it'll stick. But if it doesn't, like I, it's hard for information to stick in my head. But yeah, it's just terrible. Yeah, first of all, sorry that you, you're going through that, man. Because I feel like we've, we've, we've literally seen this as well. And I, I was wishing that we would have had uh, a Native American um, or an Indigenous Canadian here as well, because it's basically the same thing there as well, where you're a minority. Yeah. And it's like, you know, people just make you forget your own history. And like, you know, they try to make it seem like, oh, you know, we killed your ancestors, but um, that totally didn't happen. It's like, you know, a weird sort of oxymoron of like, you know, yeah, we did all these bad things, but we're not going to teach you about it, which is yeah. absolutely insane. Right. And I think on the African continent, it's like, I know, actually, I went to a British system school, right? And I know that we're, we're in Kenya, right? I think we should have still learned about Kenyan history. I was so tired of learning about white man's history. I know, how can I know about Soviet Russia? How can I know about World War II? How can I know about all these different things? I can even learn about Japanese history, but I'm not learning about African history. So I was given the impression, and this is what I think, a lot of these systems of white supremacy, they sort of, you know, they, they sort of uh, eliminate our history by way of omission. So it's like, oh, you know, we won't even teach your history. We won't even put it into your books because it's so unimportant that it's not worth taking up any spaces on the page. 
which is something I find so, so abhorrent. And I feel like I'm, it makes me so angry that I had to teach myself African history over the past of like you know, maybe over the past like seven months. I've just had to be reading articles. I've had to be watching videos, and I think that obviously even within our school system, like we're only learning about like our own you know local history, but we don't even know that we share history with, for example, West Africa, and we share certain problems. Um, for example, uh, with different groups of African people. And I mean, like now me learning about Aboriginal history right now on this podcast, it's been, it's been a very interesting experience. And like, I wish that one day we could all just come together and like sort of rant and just talk about like, you know, what exactly the system has done. And actually one question out of curiosity before we move on with education, what was, uh, what was slavery like? Like were Indigenous Australians the only ones that could have been slaves or were, this, were there also like indentured servants that came from India or other places or was it just literally just you guys were enslaved and um, that carried on until a certain uh, like you know period of time? Um, from what I know and if I can remember correctly pretty much our slave trade started when the slave trade ended over in America. So when theirs ended ours started because the French I could be, I could be remember this wrong, but from what I'm, from what I remember is pretty much the French, they, um, yeah, they, there was like, since the uh, black people there couldn't be enslaved anymore, there was a new market, which was Australia. So then they started the slave trade in Australia and we were like working for the white man pretty much. And that's why we experienced a lot of the same slurs that, like African Americans do. So when the French came, instead of being like, you know, coming up with original, like, not that like, not that I'm like, come up with original content, but like they were pretty much like, I don't want to endorse racism, but they were pretty much the slowest they used for the African Americans they used against Aboriginal Australians. Oh yeah, yeah. that's that's interesting as well. So where did people call you like the N-word, etc.? Is that still happening or... What other slurs do you guys have, if you don't mind me asking? Um, so I wouldn't... See, it's a tricky thing because I don't know if I can or can't say it because it's, like, not mine. But every time I do come in contact with African-Americans, they're like, oh, like, you, me, like, they're, like, brother, like brothership and, like, all that sort of stuff. Hmm. But, like, um, yeah, I remember being a child. Like, I remember being in primary school and then, like, a kid, like a white kid called me the N-word. And I was like, what? I remember being, I think I was like, I go probably was like nine, 10 years old. Like a kid called me the N-word. And I was like, what is that even like? I didn't even know. And then also like growing up in a country town, I did get the N-word used. To, like I'm not the darkest Aboriginal person. I'm, I'm in white skinned. And even then, like, cause I found that in Victoria, like Aboriginals are a lot lighter. But like even then, like being in a country town, I got called the N-word so much. And I was like, what? Mm. Like, yeah. That is absolutely insane. Yeah. Um, wow. I mean, I never, the thing is, I thought the word was only used um, on the African continent. Um, and it was also used, um, obviously, like in the US, etc, but also in the Caribbean, etc. I mean, that's very interesting. So it's like, more or less, it's like, it's, it's like a totally international thing. That is, that's yeah. really crazy. And you also said that well, if someone called you like black with a C, right? 
would that count as a slur as well? And I hope I'm not being like offensive or anything. I, in my experience, like not necessarily. It's like, it's only if it's like used with malice. Like, cause I don't think it's like carries the same weight as like the N word when they use like the hard R or like the A, like, you know what I mean? Like in that context, like we do identify as black without the C but from what my experience is like being called black isn't this like it's I think it's complicated because every indigenous person has like their own definition like when it comes to like not definition but like they have their own idea when it comes to like what is or isn't okay it's usually something you just need to ask the person for instance like when we use like slang like some indigenous people are like yeah like if we're close with like a person like a white person they they too can like use our slang when we're talking but like other people are saying like no, like other people would say no like you can't so it really mm-hmm. comes down to the person yeah no that that does make sense so <clears throat> I think when it comes to something like the N-word, like <laughs> that's obviously something that a lot of people, I mean, some people, it's like a very small minority <clears throat> of the black community that'll be like, oh yeah, my white friend can see that. It's like very, very rare, but that's interesting to see that there's a bit more nuance in your community in relation to a term like, you know, black with a C, right? Or certain slang that you're talking about. Um, and I find that very, very interesting. And I guess um, we'll hop back to education for a second. Um, I wanted to ask one main thing in terms of like, you know, teaching history, et cetera. Um, you, if, if you're taught like, you know, native uh, Australian like history, other like, you know, parts that let's say it's like, you know, they're trying, they're trying, but they're really just being apologetic to the, the white man. And like, they're really like glossing over a lot of things. And also do you have a specific month like black history month to be able to, have your history taught or like what what are your your school's attitudes towards it um so we have like nadoc week so we don't have a month we just have nadoc week and during that time like for instance this year's nadoc week was the theme like every year is a new theme and our theme was always will always will be which is um in reference to always was always will be aboriginal land so uh, during like nadoc week we usually like um go over like history and then like like um achievements of aboriginal people and then we also have like little like depending on like um where like if you're in like for instance like melbourne or like other places they'll have like indigenous like musicians come in and like play music yeah i would say it's like similar to black history month in the sense of like going over like the history of like black culture and then like talking about like achievements and like how far we've like come and it's also one of those things where like some people feel as though like NADOC week is just for like Aboriginal like Australians but like it's one of those things where we like encourage like white people and other people like other people to experience our culture because once you experience our culture you can now then you can then understand our pain and then you can understand why we want things to change rather than looking at it from the outside and be like that's their holiday it's like another big thing around like Australia Day, how we keep trying to change the date. And there everyone's like, well, white Australia is like, but why should we change the date? But we're like, because we want like, it, it's the day that Australia got invaded and people got like massacred and 
like we want to we want to make a day where we can celebrate together but we want that day to be a day of mourning but they're like oh it's the whole thing oh so you're telling me that there's still a celebration of those days for example where like you know australia was invaded and people take pride in that and like that history gosh um, in a sense yeah because it's more of like um when it comes to australia day it's meant to be like the day that like australia was discovered but it was already discovered by aboriginal people because we've been here for 60,000 to 100,000 years so they so they're kind of trying to be like oh like australia day like celebrate like blah blah, blah. but like it's if you really cared about australia as a whole then you would change the day but then there's people like but you guys get like this and that I'm like but we don't we just want we can have two days we can have a day of mourning and a day of celebration but there's those people being like get over it it happened so long ago I'm like but it didn't it's still like not that like it's like cuz you get all those things being like oh we won or like get over it, it happened so long ago like all it's rah 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 and we're just like please like just listen and they're like no like why should we I'm like cuz you're on our land I mean it must I think for you guys it must be like 10 times more painful I can I can't even begin to imagine that sort of pain because as as I mentioned before the podcast like Africans were able to at least get back land although the borders are different <clears throat> but for you it's like now you have a white majority that's just there and like you know they're sort of like they're still on your land essentially and they don't have the same values as you or the same attitude towards your land and I find it so 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 interesting that um one thing that we commonly share especially even in the US even in the UK that a lot of our uh, black people will face is like oh yeah it happened so long ago get over it it's like no that's not that's not too long ago right and i was i was just sort of like i was like guys you need to deep this like it's not been it's not even been a century since segregation like you know was was officially like legally like you know eliminated right in the US in the UK right <clears throat> it's not been a century since obviously the last country in africa got its independence and since colonialism was like you know obviously like abolished and apartheid literally ended like what 30 years ago 40 years ago something like that right in south africa and people want to tell us to get over it do people have i mean people have i think this is this just comes back to white apologetics some white people have such a skewed perception of intergenerational pain right that they've never had to experience right and i'm not speaking on all like white people all around the world <clears throat> i mean you're talking about like for example white americans british etc australians it's like you have such a skewed perception of intergenerational pain that it's a privilege for you to want to move on like it's a privilege for you to say actually you know what i'm tired of confronting this history that happened to a certain group of people because at least at least you can trace your lineage at least you can remember your culture whatever you know remnants there are of it left right at least all of these different things you can have access to but are you seriously going to tell me to get over it especially for you guys it's like um how do you i mean do you guys even like uh for example have people that are still alive that can like you know teach you your history like that's one thing i really wanted to ask because i think on the african continent we're also very much oral tradition 
And um, for example, in West Africa, they'd have the griots who would literally be like, you know, your history teacher, but there would be like, you know, elderly people, etc. That, um, <clears throat> that would sort of recite poetry for you. And they would also recite, you know, small, like, you know, uh, verses of like their own history. And for example, one of those things that people still memorize till today is the epic of Sunjata Keita, who is the first king of the Malian empire, the first Mansa, apologies. Uh, but yeah, I wanted to know, like, do you have any specific... <clears throat> people that you can get your knowledge from and um, how hard are they to find? Are they like, you know, um, you know, very old people and who's going to learn the history? Is it going to be something that people are too, too worried about and they're not going to be able to like, you know, access that knowledge in 20 years or so? Um, so in Australia, we have like uncles and aunties, which are basically like well-respected people in the community that are like older than us. And usually they have like, it's like even if they aren't related to it's like that's like like in the community like that's an uncle that's an auntie and they pass on the knowledge but we also have aboriginal elders which are people that have like uh like like a wellspring of knowledge per se like they're the people that like you like highly respected people within the community that have a lot of knowledge that they bestow onto us and usually it's a lot of um like it's you can do connections to cultures just by like reaching out and trying to like find groups and like yeah like there is like um ways to learn about culture for instance we also have like a lot of park ranges on indigenous land that like when like if there's some places where we've gotten their land back and there's indigenous park ranges there and they can also tell you about the land like what foods are like bush tucker like edible and unedible so accessing it is can be easy but also can be hard for instance say if you were say if you were born white presenting and then you didn't know you were indigenous like this has happened to a couple of my friends like they didn't even know they were indigenous to like two three years ago and they're like 2021 now because like it's that thing where people get ashamed of being indigenous so they hide it from their kids and then they then they eventually tell their kids and they want to connect to culture but then like also you don't really have that like what if you don't have that like proof that you are indigenous because you are white presenting and it's that hard like it can be hard for some people and easier for other people that can trace their lineage wow yeah. I, th I find that extremely interesting um just the concept that obviously you know you have some people who will try to hide a type of identity from the rest of the world because they're ashamed of it. I mean, what, what sort of, um, could you tell me a bit more about that? Like why, why do people want to like hide it? Is it because obviously like, you know, there's, let's say the, the extended family will look down upon you or is it more like, you know, a social status thing or is it employment wise? Like what, what, what really causes it? All those things definitely come into like, into the fact of like people not wanting to identify as indigenous if you have that privilege to not identify or not want to identify and rather you get rid of the like out like cast the culture aside and just want to identify as white it mostly stems from like a lot of these issues stem from the stolen generation and racism so for instance someone like me who is light-skinned enough I can pass off as like another race. Like for instance, white people will be like, you're not indigenous. And I'm like, but I am. And like, I'll just get a lot of people being like, 
but you're not black, you're not indigenous, you don't look indigenous. I'm like, that's because of stolen generation. And it's that thing where people like, like um, being indigenous is like you're looked down on because you aren't like white, you aren't like the stock standard. So a lot of people don't want to, if they do have the privilege not to, they don't want to identify as indigenous because they don't want to look down upon, they don't want like to miss job opportunities for you. For instance, for me, I have a very white English name, even my middle names and my last name are all very white. And every time I've gone into a job interview, like a lot of the time in a country town, they'll be like, oh, you weren't what I was expecting. And I was like, that sounds like, because just by my general appearance, I'm like, that, like, that is, that is like the, some of the most un, underhanded racism I have ever heard. And yeah, like there's like people just have like a perception of what Indigenous people are. People with, feel ashamed sometimes. I remember growing up as a kid being like, I want to be white because I'm tired of being bullied. Wow, I just, I can't believe an employer would actually say that. And I think a lot of people don't understand how, like, you know, and this is what we mean, right? Um, and I can imagine the anger that you feel. And I'm so sorry that that happened to you, man. It's like, I can imagine the anger that you're feeling because a lot of, like, even in the UK, some people tell me similar stories. Like, I think one person, um, you know, she's a Somali girl who was going to uh, get employment and she was uh, a bit darker skinned, right? But this is more like colorism, but it manifests in the in the form. Like, you know, it's it's almost like in both, both of our situations, like yours is like, you know, you know, we want at least a threshold of whiteness for you to pass or lightness for you to pass to at least make me comfortable as a white person. And she went and, you know, she got to the job, she got the interview and it was an in-person interview. And she's like, oh, you're lighter than I expected. And it's just like, you know, it was a bit on, like, what does that mean? Like, what does that mean? Like, why, why was that even in the equation when you were thinking about her name, et cetera? It's like, you know, it's very, very weird. And this is what we tell, like, you know, white people, by everyone has subconscious bias you shouldn't be ashamed and just you know uh think that okay you know what i have subconscious bias uh, or like you know sort of deny it it's there because you're born in a post-colonial setting as a white person you will have racial bias right and it's just all about working against that and definitely i think that that's just that's underhanded i think that's probably one of the worst ones that i've heard so far <laughs> and also like in relation to you talked about a bit about employment right? And obviously, uh, in relation to jobs, first, a couple of things, right? Um, As Indigenous Australians, is it much harder to get jobs? Or like, are you more likely to be rejected from certain interviews, etc? And two, obviously, that proves that there's some element of systemic racism, and I'm sure that it pretty much still exists. Too. like yeah are, those, are there people that are denying that and like saying that it's not real and everyone's like treated equally this time you have been more about those dynamics well I, for any time i've like been like ah oh, i need to find a job but it's really hard people are like it's not hard just go get a job but i'm like but no like i've been applying for jobs like i remember even as a teenager i would apply for so many jobs and even though i was a young teenager i wasn't getting anything like i would get to the interview stage and then nothing nothing at all and then like, so like, I remember like one of the first jobs I did have was when I worked for free for work experience. Cause it was like that sort of thing where you had to like do work experience and they paid you. Well, they didn't pay, like they could pay you like 
like $90 for working a week. You know what I mean? Like nothing, just for working. I did work experience and I like did like free labor for them. And then like my next job I got was through a sports ready scholarship, which helps indigenous people get like um, jobs, which is really cool. And then like I worked in that environment, just racist and like there was bullying and I was like, I can't do this. And then, and then like one of my third jobs I did have was working at like a fish and chip shop. And that was because like they didn't have anyone, but even, even then, like it was just like under, like just like backhanded kind of compliments from like the from the staff that worked there that was like it was like oh I don't know like I would say things like oh like can't believe like Darcy got into RMIT that's like a really smart university like that's where all like like because that's like one of the top universities in Australia it's like oh Darcy you're very intelligent for a black person you're like those things really they're not like people like don't realize when they're like you like when it's like this but this like that is still racism and I don't think they like it's I, don't, I can't tell if they mean it or like it just comes across like I don't know but yeah I have had like um hard times like finding jobs and the most of the time I have seen just people in the workforce that are they are either light-skinned white passing or they are women because indigenous men come off as threatening and because I'm an indigenous man but I'm also light-skinned I still have that privilege because I'm light-skinned, but I'm also brought down by the fact that I am a man. And pe- I, people do find black men intimidating. Gosh, I th- yeah, wow, there's so much. Like, I'm really just interested by this whole dynamic. And I have some statistics as well here. Apparently, uh, a third of Australians have witnessed some form of employment discrimination against Indigenous Australians. <clears throat> and over half of Australians actually believe that it's harder to get a job as an indigenous Australian. So it's not like we're just making things up. It's not just like, oh, this is just Darcy's story. Like the stats also affirm that. <clears throat> and I think, I mean, obviously I, I uh, in, on the African continent, it's not really like um, a race issue. It's become like more like a class issue with African elite, etc., and how the class dynamic works. But there's also the concept, I mean, the one very, very weird sort of concept. I was doing a bit of research and, um, in South Africa, for example, uh, despite white people being minorities, uh, when it comes to scientists, right? Uh, I, I don't know which universe, I think it was in Cape Town. Um, white individuals are getting more funding for their research compared to black individuals, despite the fact that black individuals have as a whole gotten more research funding, white researchers are getting more per person which is very, very odd. You might be like, yeah, because people are just like, oh, you know, on, Af- on the African continent, there's no racism, which is totally false, by the way. And we're not going to talk about the land disparity, how 9% own, it's like 70% of the land. Like, how can you be like in the 9% of the population and owning 70% of the land when you're white people? It's, it's absolutely insane. Then also here in Kenya, um, there are some white Americans that have come to our country and um, they are essentially they've been here for like a a year or something and they're getting million dollar grants and loans for their businesses investment. But apparently I think someone did a statistic and if you're a white American, you are 50,000% more likely to be able to get a grant of over a million dollars, right. Into your business. 
And it's, it's absolutely crazy. And people think that racism still doesn't exist on the African continent. But even the way we react to, for example, like a white person or a black person, there's this internalized colonial theory that, oh, you know what? Um, this white person might be more intelligent. They came from the white man's land. So maybe, maybe they might be more intelligent. Maybe they might have more access to like, you know, education, et cetera. So I guess um, my question would then be, um, in relation to like, you know, employment, et cetera. And just in general, like, you know, what, what do you think something like reparations looks like? Looks like? What, what, would, what would that look like? Mm. Sorry, in reparations in terms of? Um, I think obviously you've lost a lot of land. Um, yeah. And I mean, people can be like, oh, but now you have the Native Title Act where you can be able to reclaim parts of land, etc." I mean, but thinking about it, right, um, how do you, I mean, how people reacted to the concept of reparations for all the atrocities that have happened? Like, um, I mean, the biggest one would obviously be we want land back. Obviously, I don't, I don't think that a lot of um, white Australians would like, you know, they'd, very, they'd push back against that idea heavily, et cetera. Um, but are you looking for some form of land reform? Are you looking like like South Africa's sort of route where it's like, you know, we want to distribute the land uh, by uh, around natives? Like, what, what are you looking for exactly? Well, I would say that we just want like our sacred land back. We want... Sorry, I was getting another call. I had to dismiss it. Um, we want like a native land back. We want like there's places that are very sacred to us, but then mining companies are destroying them. We want to make sure that they don't get destroyed because these sites are 60,000 to 100,000 years old. Like, we want our sites to be protected. We want, like, our languages to be taught. We want our culture to be taught. We're tired. Like, why am I learning Italian? For instance, my high school, we learned the Italian language. I'm like, why are we learning this when I could be learning my language? Like, it's that sort of thing where, like, or, like, why am I learning about, yes, history is good. Like, why am I learning about, like, the Japanese culture and, like, the Dark Ages before I'm learning about my own culture? If, like, if that or not at all. Like, I just, yeah, we want, like, we want our land protected. We want our land back. We, we want, yeah, those are the kind of represent, reparations that we want. Hmm. Yeah, no, I think as an African it's, it's 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 sort of odd to just imagine it like as Africans if you're listening to this podcast like I want you to imagine like you know there's certain pieces of land you know there's certain monuments etc um you know we did lose land but we got it back like I can't yeah. imagine for example me uh going to a place like Mombasa which is a coastal city right I can't imagine us going there and then just being like, oh yeah, this is no longer your land. It's like, or me being a minority in my country. I, I think it's a very unique experience that is only limited to a few indigenous communities like all around the world. So, I mean, as an African or someone who's not African anyways, just if you're listening to this, really reflect on that because that's something else that we wouldn't be able to, uh, to really recognize. And also what I find very interesting, and perhaps I wanted to ask it on a bit of a cultural basis, um, I think that <clears throat> when, when we look at the, the concept of land, I think it's a very political thing to look at. I think that the Western, uh, Western thought in general has been more 
they, they have a more extractionary sort of view of land. It's like, what can we get from this land, right? But I know a lot of, I can't speak for the whole continent, but I can speak for certain parts of the continent where at least they recognize like, yeah, we can get from this land, but there was some element of, you know, respect nature. There was some element of, you know, don't destroy this land uh, because it's very sacred to, or like, you know, our ancestors, you know, were, uh, were sort of here and et cetera. And there's also a very famous African proverb that says that uh, we did not uh, inherit this land or like this world from our ancestors, but we borrowed it from our children. So there's this element of like, you know, we're thinking about sustainable development. We're thinking about, can we really make this world better for our children? Um, and what you see is like a totally different story in relation to how colonizers saw the land. So I just want to ask you about how that manifested in Australia. Is it more like, what, what, what were the, the native views about land beforehand? Like, does land have a spiritual value? Like, uh, for example, you believe that a certain place in Australia is like, you know, an, an, an ancestral plane or other places where you like you would go to pray if you had like the native religion beforehand. Uh, just elaborate a bit on that for us. Um, so one thing I've been told like a lot every time I've gone on like excursions, Aboriginal land, any yeah, anytime I've gone on to like Aboriginal sites or have gone from one country to another in like, cause like in Australia, we call like, like each of like the areas like countries for instance like I'm on Naram country and then I would go to the Yorta Yorta country or Jajarung country which are like those are those two latter ones are my like where my tribes are from when you go like when you do go onto country you leave it as you found it so no rubbish you don't take from the land as well like if you find like a cool rock leave it like it's that sort of like respect we don't take like we don't take anything from the land. Um, but yeah, we also have like Uluru in like Australia is like a very sacred site for us. You're not allowed to climb it anymore. You used to be able to climb it, but then it, us like uh, Aboriginal people banded together and stopped that, um, so you can't climb it anymore. But I'm pretty sure the one of the PMs wanted to reopen it again. I'm not sure on that one if they did or didn't, but hopefully not. Um, but yeah, there's like a lot of places that are sacred and there's meeting grounds between like tribes and stuff. And we also have, oh, what was it? Um, we have like sites where only men can go and women can go. Usually it's a lot of watering holes. So like um, usually some like watering holes, there's like, it's only women and children are allowed to go there. And there's other places that only men are allowed to go. And it's nothing like, it's nothing misogynistic. There are things that only women can do within Aboriginal culture. And there's only places where only average, like women can go. But then there's also places and things that Aboriginal men can, like where they can go or can do. Mm. Yeah, no, I think that's very interesting. And like, as you said, I, I'm glad that you brought up that, like it's not necessarily misogynistic, but I also think that it's like, one thing that I want us to be thinking about, especially when it comes to um, politics, when it comes to cultures in general, I feel like Gen Z has sort of come up with like this, this is I, this idea of like, you know, um, this conception that we have of how society should function. Um, and everyone's really excited about it. You know, it's like this whole new wave, et cetera. But my question to people is like, to what extent can you uh, preach an ideology at the same time, not be ethnocentric and be like, you know, 
this idea is significantly better than your culture. Therefore, your culture is wrong. Change your culture. It's almost like a form of pseudo-colonization, but from different groups of people. So we just need to be very wary of how we, for example, view all of these different things. Because like, for example, as long as your culture and the people like there, like the, they don't find it weird at all. Do they find it like offensive? Is that like something that people have tried to push back against? Like the men and women mm-hmm. separation thing? Um, no, not at all. Like I said, there's things that only women can do and there's places where only they can go. There's things that only men can do and there's places where we can go. It's like very, it's also, but also women and men are equal. Like mm. we are equal. There's things, but like new age feminists try to come and be like, women should be able to play the didgeridoo. And that's a very sacred item with our culture. And we believe that only men can touch it or play it. Mm. Yet like white feminists that like have the dreadlocks and very much into culture vulturing, like take a little bit of every culture wearing the Hindu, like Hindu symbols and like symbols from every other culture. And it's like, okay, like, what are you doing? Like you have your culture, which is European. There's a difference between culture appreciation and appropriating and you are appropriating. And there's just, I've seen so many people like so many times online where white women are just be like, I'm going to play the didgeridoo. And first of all, they do an awful job at it. If you're going to try, see <laughs> them, they do it. And it's just awful, especially like some like white men as well try to play didgeridoo. And they do the worst job of it that I've ever seen in my life. I can't play the didgeridoo and I can do a better job than these men and women who are appropriating our instrument. But yeah, they come in being like, why can't women play the didgeridoo? Like we should like be able to play didgeridoo. And like, no, but that's the thing. You aren't in our culture and you don't understand. Before you like arc up, at least like, well, no, you don't get a right to arc up in our culture because like it's for us to determine if it's like, it's one of those things where it isn't hurting anyone. It's not hurting anyone at all for women not to be able to play it. Mm. But yet feminists come in and be like, because like this, they come in and be like, women should be able to play it. And like, but no, the women within our culture have that understanding where they do not want to play it or they do not have any desire to play it. So for instance, the didgeridoo is known by like the English tongue as the didgeridoo, but Aboriginals, we call it the yadaki. And we believe if you play, if a woman plays it, she'll become infertile. Mm. And that's, that's the reason why women can't play it. And then women have the respect, like women with that culture respect that idea, like respect it and they don't play it. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting. And like, you know what I find interesting as well is like, you know, a lot of people, um, and this is why I tell people to be really careful with the way you think about this, because that's that's like a sacred belief, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's a sacred belief. So if people have chosen to submit to that belief, right, you have no right to tell them what they can or cannot do. Like, for example, so something like the hijab, right? This is just another thing. It's like, you know, that's different in Islam. Like, you know, women have to wear the hijab in front of people that are not their relatives or certain groups of people, right? And some, you know, white feminists will be like, oh, but that's oppression. That's oppression. Why are you oppressing these women? And I'm just like, well, you know, the thing is, uh, what you see as oppression might be liberation for someone else. And I think that this is what I mean. It's like, even when you come for these social justice movements, um, a lot of, uh, I'd say some, some white activists tend to also have that white savior complex of like, I know what social activism should look like for it to treat people like, you know, 
all right and like you know I, I know the best model of social activism and um we've seen this in all different kinds of places um and i just i just feel like it's really one of those things that you need to really be careful if you're if you're like a white person coming into these cultures uh, even for example even when you're discussing sustainable development all these different things don't just go into a culture and say change your ways that's that's very that's a very colonial mindset especially with the 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 element of um how do i say this yeah just like an element of like you know that power dynamic that you have as a white person it's like you shouldn't be saying those things and i mean now that you brought up the idea of culture like this is something i'm really really interested about uh and obviously i don't know if it's like too too specific for you to answer but i'm very curious right have you've talked about appropriation of culture uh, of indigenous peoples but for example you've talked about a very interesting way of like looking at the land and i'm assuming that even for example when it comes to things like you know uh diet etc were there any sort of vegan sort of uh diets uh amongst indigenous peoples pre-colonially and have those been appropriated or if not uh what cultures have been appropriated whether it's like clothing whether it's uh religious beliefs etc so within our culture um i've saw some people on tiktok talk about this a lot um tulula on um, tiktok did a really good job of talking about it and from what i remember is because these new age feminists come and be like, this isn't like veganism and like, rah, 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 like the animal, like, but realistically, like veganism by definition are products that are brought and sold. Like, you know what I mean? Like animal, like, because you are not consuming things by like uh, by under the capitalist regime and all that sort of stuff. But when we took the life of our animals we did it in a very respectful way in a in a way that was painless and we would use up the entire animal nothing would go to waste so we have that's our idea of veganism we weren't over we weren't overfishing we weren't over killing populations for instance in aboriginal culture each country like each tribe has a totem so my totems are the long neck turtle and the wedge tail eagle and because those are my totems i am not allowed to hunt or eat these totems but someone from a different tribe can hunt or eat these totems but because i'm in this tribe i am to protect these animals i'm not allowed to take the life of these animals and that is our way of making sure that they don't overpopulate but also keep them at like a, a good level for the environment and when it comes to clothing we do have like we would wear possum skin cloaks and stuff i haven't seen oh no there are those stores where it's like run by like white people being like australian like paraphernalia and they'll be selling like possum skin like possum skin like cloaks which are like illegal i'm pretty sure or like they try to pass them off as like something else or they um they like get didgeridoos and try to sell them that aren't made by indigenous peoples because like we also have like our technique of dot painting and what people do is make these dot paintings and be like made by an indigenous person which they're not they exploit it because these paintings go for a bit of money because it's a traditional practice and for instance i haven't dot painted because i don't want to because I need, I want to be taught and I haven't found anyone that can teach me to do so, but I am an artist. I just want to find someone that can teach me and I can do it in a respectful manner rather than just like doing it. But there'll be these people 
white people that will make like these knockoffs of Aboriginal paintings and use the symbolism all wrong and exploit Indigenous people to sell these artworks for so much money. It's like ridiculous. First oh, of all, yeah, go on, go yeah. on, go on, go on. It's like another thing as well. Like um, they also sell like our boomerangs. They'll be like boomerang made by like blah, 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 but it wasn't. They'll get like a boomerang, which is like another item tradition like that we use in, within our culture. They would like paint that up and be like made by an indigenous person, which it wasn't. Or they'll get clap stickers, clap sticks as well. Usually like instruments and like small things that person can just like take around with them. Or like, well, did you do are pretty big, but you can get them small. But yeah, they'll like paint them up, like didgeridoos, boomerangs and so on. They'll paint them up and then sell them off and be like, um, like made by an indigenous person, which half the time they're not. And if they are, they're exploiting the indigenous person by giving them like no money. Gosh, yeah. No, I think that's something that a lot of um, POCs, I'd say, this is more like a worldwide thing that we can connect upon. And I find it so odd and you know, it's, 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 it's a very hypocritical, colonial, and racist position to be like, I hate the people, but I love their culture because the people are part of their culture and the culture comes from the people. So how are you going to hate on the people, for example, like in your case, and not give them any reparations, etc., <clears throat> and just profit from them? And I think that that's interesting how capitalism fits all into that because it's all about what sells. And it's almost like they fetishize non-white um, cultures, right? Non-European yeah. cultures, non-white American cultures. It's like, it's exotic to them. And it's just, I don't know, it just, that's something that really, really bothers me. <clears throat> and I was talking about it the other day. I posted a tweet uh, and not, 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 sorry, not a tweet. I posted something on TikTok that, that I felt like ruff, ruffled some, some white people's feathers. <laughs> but I felt like, you know, it's like, you know, they'll make fun of Africans for in quotes, living in huts and not building in stone, which is also very untrue, by the way. I have a video talking about that. Go and check it out if you guys want to, whoever's listening. Uh, but they'll make fun of Africans in quotes, living in huts. And then now I'm just like, you know, one day you'll find that there's this eco-friendly house that is literally like an African hut. <laughs> and um, I find it so, so hypocritical how all of these dynamics work. And the fact that they will literally take... Um, you know, stuff from the local populations and they will transform them. And obviously I'd say in, in the case of, you know, we talked about the didgeridoo, all that different stuff. I mean, that's something that's sacred. Imagine if someone like, you know, just decided to take a cross, like, you know, a, a Christian cross and then turn it into some form of just like normal jewelry, right? Where it's like, there's no sacred significance to it. It's just like, oh, it looks cool. Right. Or they use it for something or they use it for something totally different. Like they turn it to a piece of cutlery. Like how would that make you feel as a Christian? Right. Um, it just it makes absolutely no sense to me. Um, and I think that that's something that we definitely uh, need to like watch out for. Um, but yeah, I think we're coming to like the end of the podcast. I think there's, there's yeah. a couple of things that I did want to talk about. But obviously that's that's time. Uh, but uh, I'll just finish off with this. I think obviously um my my last two cents is it's so important to have these conversations <clears throat> and um as africans as well i think we can really benefit from this and also we can also just sort of appreciate that we also for example have the privilege to have access to our land i mean it seems it's something we take for granted like we often talk about like you know yeah neocolonialism which is a problem we talk about how a continent is being exploited that's also a problem um also it's just like it's very 
uh, I'd say it's a good thing. At least we have our land, etc., and we have some element of our culture still there, etc. And we have the power to at least teach our languages in schools and all that. But I think my final question, and then we'll wrap up for today, is um, there are obviously pieces of land um, that you might not get back for a while. And by a while, I mean like maybe not in your generation, maybe not your grandkids' generation. Um, so what exactly does that feel like and how have people within your community reacted to it? It honestly feels like disheartening because it is like that thing where like there are some parts of our land that are coming back and they, I have been to places where it is like sacred land and they have like, it's like a national park and they haven't cut it down. Like that's beautiful. But it's also like things that like, like I definitely want to see us be able to get this land back. Like that'd be great. But it's also disheartening to see like, sacred sites that have been destroyed in my lifetime like within this year because of like mining companies destroying the land destroying the paintings within inside those things and that is like a hundred sixty to hundred thousand years of culture i like my people will never be able to get back we can't recreate that it's gone and it's just heartbreaking because like it's that thing where I, if I, when I do have kids, I want to be able to pass on my knowledge, but then what if I got to take them there? Like, Oh, sorry. Like son or daughter, like, or like, sorry. Um, that was this site, but now it's a highway. Like that would be, it's going to be very depressing. And yeah, it definitely like these are sites where I'm like, I can't like with like the Japarong trees, like we might, they're either going to clear it, make a highway or we can keep it. Like, that's the thing. Like, it's very much like white people are like we need more stuff like we need more highways or we need resources i'm like but can't you find them somewhere else do you have to destroy indigenous site for these resources like these resources gone within like whatever like they're gonna last like what like 20 years that history could last forever if you don't touch it you know that <clears throat> that's interesting and i think yeah, first of all, like apologies to your community and you you guys have my full on support because I feel like that's just one of those <clears throat> those injustices which needs to be fixed in some way, shape or form. It's absolutely wrong uh, that people get to profit <clears throat> even till today of your culture <clears throat> and of your land, etc. Um, <clears throat> I feel like that's just something that we need to like deal with in some way, shape or form. It's so wrong. And I don't think a lot of, you know, if you see it literally as just a tree or you see it as like, you know, some land, but it has cultural significance. Like even in Nairobi, funny enough, it was actually our government that was trying to take down a tree that was there for like 400 years, a couple of weeks ago. And the community came together and said, no, this is a tree that has been there for so long. It has, it's a sacred tree in one of our religions. You cannot take this down. And I'm imagining what if it was like, what if it was like a white majority government? that tree would have been gone. But oh, like, yeah. you know, at least, yeah, like, you know, it's like a, um, an African president, um, at least, yeah, although he has his flaws. And that's one good decision that he did make. And um, I think that when it comes to uh, one movie that this all reminds me of, apart from the, the white savior mentality and all in this movie was a good movie, uh, but Avatar, right? And uh, the concept of colonization. And like, you know, I think it plays onto the minds and the biases of certain people, because 
Uh, if you haven't watched the movie, there are spoilers in what I'm about to say, so you can skip forward. <laughs> but uh, just the concept of, for example, you might think that the Amatakaya people or the native people of, you know, the planet Pandora, oh, they're uncivilized. You know, it's a good thing that these uh, these white people from the U.S. are coming to Pandora to, like, teach them, you know, uh, values, etc. But they have their own beautiful form of culture. Like, and this is what I was talking about the other day. It's like, who says just because, you, in quotes, you have a more advanced uh, you know, civilization. And I'm saying that with air, like heavy air quotes, right? Who said that just because you think you have a better civilization that you have to spread that civilization? It makes absolutely no sense to me. But yeah, before we go, um, I'll just say thank you so much, Darcy, for for obviously taking time out of your day to to come and you know, have this podcast. By far, I think this is one of my favorite podcasts that I've ever recorded. And we've been doing this for around three years so thank you so so much is there anything you wanted to say before we head off um i can't really think of anything to say but i would say if you are if you do have questions google google is free and don't always rely on someone in like a group to educate you because they are not the spokesperson you can ask them questions but it gets to a point where you can't keep coming to them for like everything and whenever you whenever someone's like we need help or like blah blah blah, like racism we need to like we need help like and then you a karen be like what can i do google google is your friend and it is free and it's widely accessible to a lot of people that's all i have to say yeah thank you again so much and to all the africans as well these are these are initiatives i think that we should be supporting uh, because we've shared struggles and the the similar, you know, it's basically the same colonizer, right? So we we share those issues in some way, shape, or form. But anyways, thank you guys so much again. Um, we will be doing more episodes on co- connecting the colonial experience. I hope you thoroughly enjoyed this episode, and I hope everyone has a good night or a good morning or a good day wherever you may be. Thank you guys so much. This will be it for season ten, and I'll see you in season eleven.